Thank you for listening to the Giving Light Podcast. We are a family church and world outreach center. Our heart is to empower you to walk in true freedom and equip you to impact your world. Please visit our website at givinglight.org to learn more about us and our many resources, including original music by Brave Music, e-courses for leaders, tools for raising powerful kids, and more. If you would like to support Giving Light financially, visit our Give Online page to choose the best giving method for you. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy this message. I just want to make sure I'm preaching to the right church. How many of you believe that you have a call on your life? That you have a purpose? That you have a destiny? That you have giftings and talents that are to be used for His purpose? All right, so I'm preaching to the right church. Okay, great, awesome. So today I want to talk about cultivating fruit that will last. If if my only pursuit is to fulfill my personal calling, then I misjudge my purpose for my life. You see, his promises for my life are meaningless if it's not without his presence. So this truth can uh, clearly be demonstrated in Moses' mentality. Exodus 33, 15. Then Moses said, If you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. So Moses was so passionate about the presence of God that he was willing to stay in the wilderness to be with God instead of going to his promised land. Now, I want you guys to think about that. That the promised land has been spoken over the Israelites, it's been spoken over Moses, that it was a land flowing with milk and honey. And then Moses says, hey, listen, I don't want to go unless you're with me. Come on. Philippians 3, 8. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all garbage so that I could gain Christ. So the goal, the high mark that we press towards is Christ, not calling. Not destiny, but Christ himself. So we must be willing to pursue his heart above purpose. Oh, I'm sorry, above position, above potential, and even above his promises. Jeremiah 2.13. My people have committed two sins. Can you say two sins? The first one is they've forsaken me the spring of living water. What was their first sin? They've forsaken the well of life, the source of life. And then what was the second sin? And have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Do you see this? So they've forsaken the well that never runs dry, and then they tried to build their own wells hoping to fulfill a need. Wow. 
How many of you guys realize sometimes we can fill our life with so many things, hoping to fill a need with inside of us when we have it in Christ Jesus? See, they pursued other avenues of receiving life, which couldn't satisfy. Actually, they couldn't hold. Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Acts 17, 25 through 27. He is not served by human hands. Who is this talking about? It's talking about God. As if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. There it is again. He's the source of life. Say, he's my source. He's my source. Then what does it go on to say in verse 27? God did this so that they could seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. The passion says, for he is the God who is easy to discover. See, when God says, seek me and you will find me, it's not this big difficulty. He's available. And he's willing to reveal himself to you. Colossians 2, 6 through 7. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Wow. It's not just about, okay, I'm saved, I have eternal life, I have salvation, but it says now that you accepted him, it says you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. It's really important to understand what Christ is offering us through salvation. He's offering us eternal life with him. I'll say that again. He's offering us eternal life with him. Eternal life of relationship. Okay? Eternal life of union with him. Of intimacy with him. This is really important to understand. Now that you've accepted Christ... Continue to follow him. Come on. So he is our pursuit. He is our prize. Say, he is my pursuit. He is my prize. Like I said, we all agreed that we have a calling. We have a purpose. We have giftings. We have destiny. We have all that stuff. But we miss the point if we pursue those above relationship with him. And I would say, because of that relationship, all those other things are the fruit of it. I'm not saying that they're not good. I'm not saying that they're not important. But what I'm saying is he is our pursuit. He is our prize, and everything then flows from that. Like I said, eternal life is not just eternal life just doing your own thing. Eternal life is with him. 
It's with relationship with him. It's in fellowship with him. It's in union with him. In Christ, we each have a divine purpose, destiny, calling, and gifting. But if that's all we pursue, we miss the point of these things. Your calling is not a destination. It's an invitation to intimacy. I'm going to say that again. Your calling is not a destination. It's an invitation to intimacy. Why do we have these giftings? Why do we have these callings? Why do we have these purposes within inside of us to draw us into relationship with him? Are you guys seeing this? Many people can become very good at performing calling, purpose, and gifting before people, but lack intimacy with God. Listen, you cannot fake intimacy with God. You may be able to fake it in front of others, but you can't fake it with God, right? God, I'm so intimate. No, no, actually not. You're not, <laughs> right? You can't fake humble. You can't fake open. You can't fake a submitted heart. He knows. I'm not saying that you're not. I'm just saying he knows. So this is an accusation. It's just stating a truth. Then Jesus makes this bold statement in John 15, 5. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing? Really? Nothing? So is Jesus saying, apart from me, you'll be unable to perform your calling? Unable to perform your gifting? No, because people do these things all the time. Actually, in Matthew, it says that you can even cast out demons. You can do mighty works. You can even prophesy in his name and not know him. Whoa. Come on. Oh, this should be exciting, right? I'm not saying you're not. I'm just stating what he says. When Jesus declares, apart from me, you can do nothing, he wasn't referring to works, accomplishments, callings, or quote-unquote good, good things. You can actually do those on your own. You can do those on your own. So I believe that Jesus was referring to eternal value. Apart from you, apart from you, we cannot, apart from him, we cannot produce anything of eternal value. Guess what? We could do good things. We could do amazing things. We can do things that people will give us high fives for. But Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So he's not saying that you can't do quote unquote good things. He's not even saying that you can't even, quote unquote, fulfill calling and giftings. He's just saying it won't hold eternal value. What's our prize? Him. Are you guys following me? What is our prize? It's him. He's come to give us eternal life 
so that we could do our own thing. No? We'll edit that one out. He's come to give us eternal life to be in relationship with him. Eternally. So let's get in the practice of it, right? John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So what is fruit? Fruit is the tangible expression of union and fellowship with Christ. So wait a second. He says, if you are in me and I am in you, you'll bear fruit. So what is he saying? You'll do things that actually have eternal value. And apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, there is no eternal value in what you're doing. Who is our prize? It's him. Who is our target? It's him. Are you guys following me? So he's not diminishing the fact that there will be fruit. It's just those things that are produced on our own strength outside of fellowship won't hold eternal value. It may hold temporal value, but not eternal value. You can do a lot of amazing things that are really good for people. But if God didn't initiate it, there's no eternal value. Come on. Now, I believe that there's two reasons why we value things that hold no eternal value. There could be more. I just came up with two of them. If you think of another one, you can tell me after the service. The first one is vanity. Ecclesiastes 2.11. Then I consider all that my hands have done, the toil I have expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and was striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So vanity is simply trying to catch the wind and coming up empty. So vanity actually means if you would reach out and try to catch it, it would be empty. So you're hoping to find fulfillment in your own strength. What was the second sin? They built, they dug their own wells that couldn't hold life. Come on. So vanity is trying to find personal value in our own ability. The second thing, well, the first one was vanity. The second one was fear of man. We want other people to see us a certain way. Why do we do things that hold no eternal value? Because we want people to view us a certain way and value us because what we do. What they generally call that nowadays is called virtue signaling. Virtue signaling. Well, I guess that's going to be in an upcoming podcast. <laughs> so that's basically, you don't really care about the issue. You just want everybody else to know that you care about the issue. 
So how do we know, believe me, it's good now, but it's going to get better, right? So how do we know that we're starting to pursue the promise over intimacy and relationship? How do we know this? Remember, what's the reason for eternal life? Fellowship and union with him. So how do we know when we're starting to pursue things that don't hold eternal value over intimacy and relationship? When we pursue promise over presence, eventually we'll be pulled out of peace. When we pursue promise over presence, eventually we'll be pulled out of peace. You see, peace is not the absence of trials. It's not the absence of the storm. It's actually the presence of Jesus. Mark 4, 38. But he was in the stern. The stern is the back of the boat, right? Just making sure the, the sailor knows this. Okay. So if you're like, what's the stern? It's in the back of the boat. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow, And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Actually, some versions will say they woke him up with shouting. (laughs) You know, I read it like, don't you care that we're perishing? I'm sure that's how they said it. (laughs) They were screaming. So what are they actually saying? Don't you care that we're about to die? They're in total fear, right? They're in fear, and they look, and Jesus is sleeping. John 15, 19. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever whatever the Father does... The son also does. Well, what does that have to do about what I just read? Well, this reveals what was going on in the father, right? The disciples are in the middle of a storm. They're fearing for their life. And Jesus was sleeping. And Jesus only does what the father does. So what does this tell us? That the father was at peace, which Jesus expressed. Going to say that again. The Father was at peace, which Jesus expressed. Let's go back to Mark. Mark 4, 39. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. Oh, we sang about that today. How did that happen? I don't know. The list was done before I came up with this, so... (laughs) And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Now, you have to already understand something. Jesus is already manifesting heaven when he commanded the sea to be at peace. How do we know this? Because Jesus does what the Father does. He's a perfect imprint of his nature. So, Jesus was manifesting peace because his Father was at peace. So that should tell us something about spiritual authority. You cannot release something you don't possess. 
Why, other than being the Son of God, why could Jesus calm the storm? Because he was already at peace inside. He was reflecting heaven before he spoke it. So we need to align our hearts by faith with heaven before we decree. We need to be in peace before we release peace. Are you guys seeing this? Oh, it's going to get better. But also notice Jesus rebuked the wind first. Did you know that the, one of the main causes for waves in the ocean is wind? So Jesus rebuked the cause first. And then he spoke peace to the waves. What were the waves? The waves were the effect of the cause. Are you guys seeing this? Could it be that we try to rebuke the waves when we should be speaking peace to them? Could it be that we're rebuking the circumstance when we should be speaking peace to it? What did Jesus rebuke? He rebuked the wind, which was the cause, right? And then what did he do? He spoke peace to the waves. Are you guys seeing this? So Jesus' example is to rebuke the cause and then speak peace to the effect. But all of it was from a place of expressing heaven's reality. Why could he bring peace? Because he was expressing what heaven, what the Father was expressing. James 4, 7. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit to what? Submit to what? His way of thinking. Right? Then it says resist or rebuke the cause and he will flee from you. Rebuke actually means to charge with fault. So sometimes we need to say, Father, what is the cause of this situation? And then when he reveals it, rebuke it. Now, I don't think everything's the devil, but a lot of times it could be. And then, resist means to stand against. So then from this new way of thinking, we speak peace to what is being affected. So we address the cause and then we speak peace to the effect of it. All from a place of expressing heaven. Mark 4.40. Then he said to them, why are you afraid? Don't you think that's kind of funny? <laughs> they woke him up shouting, fearing for the life. He gets up, rebukes the wind, and speaks to the sea, peace be still. And he says, why are you guys afraid? Do 
do you still have no faith? So faith aligns with heaven's reality, and then we become a testimony of it. Hebrews 11, 1 through 2. Now faith is the substance. Substance means that which has actual existence. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. For by it, for by faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. They obtained a good report. So they took what was unseen and then they manifested it in the natural by their faith. Isn't that what Jesus did? The world around the disciples was a storm and they thought they, that they were going to die. Jesus was manifesting heaven or expressing heaven inside and then he manifested it to the rest and to the world, right? By speaking to it. So the degree that we experience peace is the degree that we place our attention on heaven. Matthew 14, 30. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Now we know from scripture that Jesus was pretty close to Peter at this time. So why was Peter experiencing a loss of peace when Jesus was standing right next to him? Because he took his eyes off of him and he put it upon the waves and the wind. When we place our attention on other things, we will become afraid. We will become overwhelmed and our future will become uncertain. So how does lack of peace manifest itself in our life? Consistent frustration. Problems become exaggerated. Hope becomes diminished. Lack of divine inspiration. Fear increases. Lack of motivation. So when our attention is on the storm, we will experience these things. Just like when Peter shouted, Lord, save me, his attention was redirected back to Jesus, which brought salvation, security, and peace. How many of you believe that God has a plan for you? Well, I'm glad that you still believe it after all that. No, I'm just joking. How many of you believe that his desire is to lead you into all good things? How many of you believe that if he promised it, he will fulfill it? So my next question is, why would we spend one moment worrying about how it will come to pass? Do you believe that God has a plan for you? Yes. Do you believe that he desires to lead you into all good things? Yes. Do you believe if he said it, he will fulfill it? Why would we spend one moment in worry? Come on. Trying to figure it out. Why would we spend one ounce of emotional energy on it? This is the time where you think, okay? 
Come on. Well, you said you believed it, didn't you? If he's leading, then our responsibility is to follow. If he has a plan, then it's his responsibility to reveal it and our responsibility to lean in and listen. What's your responsibility? Intimacy with God. Come on. We put so much negative energy into fear about our circumstances. Come on. You said, if he said it, he will fulfill it, right? Now, why did Peter experience a lack of peace? His attention looked at the wind and the waves. Come on. How about in your life? Are you experiencing a lack of peace? What are you looking at? So simple. (laughs) And I believe this is one of the reasons why God speaks in a still small, still small voice. Why? Because he wants you to lean in and listen. Do you think God has a small voice? So do you think there's a purpose behind speaking in a still small voice? Sure. Like when he said to Elijah, why are you here? It's so that we can lean in and get up close and personal and draw into relationship and break the bounds of comfortability, break the bounds of your comfort level. We have eternal life with Christ. (laughs) I think it's really important to get this because I think we, maybe not we, but I think sometimes people think, I said the thing, now I just kind of figure out how to navigate this life now. But eternal life is with him and for fellowship with him and union with him for eternity. And since you've already accepted Christ, you must continue to follow him. Come on. This is exciting stuff, guys. So God's plans and promises for your life are the, are the fruit of a relational connection. The promises of God are not goal-oriented, but relational in nature. How many believe that God has a plan for your life? Okay, good. You guys still believe it. Awesome. See, a goal-oriented mentality places us places the focus on what I can accomplish on my own strength. But we already know from Jesus that said, 
If you do it on your own strength, it actually won't hold eternal value, right? So we create personal milestones, checklists of accomplishments. Your personal value is then tied to these accomplishments. God, this is what you call me to do, and I'm not seeing it happen. I must, there must be something wrong with me. Come on. But a relationally oriented mentality places the focus on what we can accomplish together. We wake up every morning and say, Holy Spirit, what are we doing today? Where are you taking me today? What are you going to release through me today? What are you saying? What are you doing? And so what happens is it creates joy in the process. Oh, a giant. Oh, what what you going to do now, Lord? How are you going to defeat this one? Knowing that it's the journey that makes us closer. Are you guys seeing this? We have eternal life with Jesus. And the journey only makes us closer. Come on. Victories are not only won, but shared. Think about, look at how I got that giant. Well, sort of, you kind of got it. The Lord did most of it. Come on. John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So calling Destiny, purpose, and giftings have value in the context of a relationship. What did it say? You will bear much fruit when you abide in him. Come on. The plans, the purposes, the promises of God are not goal-oriented. They're relational in nature. So the expectation of bearing much fruit has never been outside of union and fellowship. There's never been an expectation for you to bear fruit outside of fellowship. Actually, Jesus said you can't. Good stuff. This is why our pursuit is ultimately for his heart and not his hand. Psalms 103.7, he made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. What does that mean? In the New Living Translation, it says, he revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. So the people of Israel only experienced the act of God. Their relationship connection was limited to what he did for them. Are you guys seeing this? Their relational connection with God was only for what he did for them. In some cases, what they thought he should have done for them. But God revealed himself to Moses, and Moses knew the ways of God. He understood the nature and the character of God. He understood the whys of the commands. So, Moses knew the wise and the heart of God's ways. John 15, 15. 
I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. I want you to get this. We sing, I'm no longer slaves. This is why we're no longer slaves. Because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. So what is it saying? Because you're not slaves, I will reveal to you my nature and my character and the whys and bring understanding to what I've called you to do. Then it goes on to say, you are my friends since I've told you everything the Father told me. What? Why are we not slaves any longer? Because we have access to the heart of God, not just what he does for us. You see, a master doesn't need to reveal his heart behind the command. What does the master say? Do it because I said so. And sometimes parents say that as well. <laughs> Do it because you want to live. And <laughs> Well, no, you never say that. It's just all in the eyes. They don't know what these eyes mean, but <laughs> obey and live. So Jesus is clearing, clearly saying, this is how I see you. That is that our relationship this is what our relationship is going to look like. He says, you are my friend, meaning my heart is available to you. Understanding is available to you. Transparency is available to you. So Jesus is offering his heart, not just his hand. And the hand of God refers to the, his sovereign power, his actions on his people's behalf. It's a place of blessing, strength, direction, power, and protection. Guess what? We need the hand of God but he offers his heart. So according to Jesus, slavery is not the context of our relationship. But just like the Israelites coming out of Egypt, we can feel more comfortable as a slave than a friend. Just tell me what to do, Lord. Just tell me where to go. Tell me what to say. Tell me how to say it, you know? Just reveal to me, and then I'll just do it. We have eternal life with Christ. Your calling, your purpose, your destiny, your giftings are an invitation for intimacy. Are you guys seeing this? It's not just a checklist to do. And see, when we view it as a checklist, we can become overwhelmed. Because the things that God has called us to do are impossible to do on your own. No wonder we feel overwhelmed. Because all of these things were an invitation to come into union and fellowship with Jesus. I hope I'm getting through. So the salvation offered to us through the sacrifice of Jesus is not just to offer a handout, but to give his heart. It's not just to offer a handout, but to offer his heart and understanding and love and affection. Your calling is not a destination. It's an invitation to intimacy. 
John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go bear fruit. Fruit that will. So this is a special kind of fruit, isn't it? How many of you have fruit at home that doesn't last? How many of you know when it's over, when the flies come? (laughs) Think about this. I'm not going to go that deep. Okay. That you will bear fruit that will last. But it's all in the context of relationship. If you are overwhelmed with your circumstance, it's like, it should sound like a knocking on the door. Can I come in? May we eat together. May we fellowship together. Then it goes on to say, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Come on. So let's break this down. I have chosen you and purposefully planted you. Where? Well, you can see it in verse 9. He's planted us in his love. John 15, 9. As the Father had loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in love. And it goes on to say that, that you would bear, that you would go bear fruit. What is fruit? Fruit is the tangible expression of union and fellowship with Christ. What does fruit look like? My time with Jesus. Fruit looks like having quiet time with our Lord. Come on. Then it goes on to say fruit that will last. So it's not just temporal value, but eternal value. Whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And why do we have this confidence? Why do we have the confidence that whatever we ask, he will give us? Why do we have this confidence? Because we're no longer slaves, but friends who are acquainted with his heart, who have access to understanding. So what moves God's hand? The thing that moves God's hand is his heart. For God so loved the world that he gave. So he calls us friends. So what does friendship look like to God? I will preface this by saying it looks different than your friends. Okay. So what does friendship look like? To God. Well, friendship is developed through intentional open communication. This is just one example in scripture, but Exodus 33:11. So the Lord spoke to Moses. Remember, God offered him his heart, right? He offered him that he could understand his ways, that he would understand his nature, right? Well, how did he do that? So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man man speaks to his friend. 
So you can see this through, through the life of Moses, that he was open, he was very real, and that he had honest communication with God, right? So it's not like, oh, holy king. Moses was like, I can't go. Send someone else. So it was very real conversation. Friendship is established through agreement. This is where it starts to look a little different. You know, you're my friend because you agree with me. <laughs> James 2.23. And, and the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. Why was Abraham called a friend? Because by faith, he believed what he could not see. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. For by it, for by faith, the elders attained a good testimony. Come on. So Abraham, Abraham came into agreement with God. When he spoke something, Abraham had faith for it. Now, if you know the life of Abraham, it wasn't always perfect. So thank you, Jesus. The next thing is, friendship with God does not diminish his authority. John 15, 14 through 15. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Did you, did you hear what I said at the beginning? Friendship looks a little different than Joe down the street, Bobby down the street, Harry down the street. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends for all things that I've heard from my father I have made known to you. So friendship is that open invitation to the heart of God. Being a friend of God does not mean you're his peer. It means I have access to understanding in his heart. It means I have access to the wise, to his commands. Jesus clearly marks out his relational boundaries. Did you know that Jesus had relational boundaries? John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. So what are the relational boundaries? Connection in heart and submitting to his authority. How many of you guys remember these jackets from the, the 90s? It was kind of when I was in high school, so um, late 90s, we'll say. Uh, later, the better. And uh, so they had these jackets that you could put it on one way. They still might have it now. But you could take it off, flip it inside out, and it would be a totally new jacket underneath. Do you guys remember these jackets? Some of you are thinking, I wish they would bring them back because I need two jackets at one time. So that's kind of what this verse is. If you love me, keep my commands. To keep, when it says keep my, in the Greek, it means to attend to carefully. It actually means to guard. If you love me, guard my commandments. 
Now, this would not be a sermon of mine if it did not have this verse. Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Out of the New Living Translation, it says, for it determines the course of your life. If you love me, guard my commandments. Well, where do you guard things? In your heart. Come on. So loving him and keeping his commands are formed in the same place, the heart. They're the same jacket woven together. How many of you know you can't have one without the other? And I'm going to go into a little bit more detail on this. And, you know, sometimes many of us want to wear that jacket a certain way. They're like, I'm about the love of the Lord. I wear the jacket of the love of the Lord. Some of us were, well, you need to obey what he says. And we wear that jacket. But guess what? It's the same jacket. <laughs> Come on. They're woven together. They're intertwined together. And where do they reside? The heart. So what is Jesus communicating? If you're going to connect with me on a heart level, you need to understand that keeping my word is an expression of love. This is something that I say a bunch of times. But we have to understand that God's commands are not to control us. If he wanted to control us, he would have not given us self-control. So his commands are not for control, they're for invitations for encounters. I'll say that again. When God commands you to do something, it's for your good. Now, this is probably another sermon that I've been trying to work on but could never get out. So this, this will just be a little tidbit of it. It's in Psalms, but it says, you are good, you do only good, teach me your decrees. That's interesting. He has a revelation that God is good. And what is his response? Teach me your ways. Teach me your commands. Teach me your decrees. And actually in the, in the couple verses before it said, hey, I, I wandered off, but you corrected me. So that was just a little tidbit of it. But the point in saying all that was when we have a mature revelation of the goodness of God, it actually leads us to desire his commands. See, a lot of times people think of the goodness of God is in a license or an excuse to sin. But the goodness of God actually says, wait a second, you are good. Teach me what you know. <laughs> Teach me your ways. Teach me your decrees. So his commands release the life and the freedom that he's promised. You also have to understand that Jesus was talking to a people that were used to keeping rules, regulation, and commandments. Who was Jesus saying this to? People that were used to religious 
rules and regulations. They were used to keeping them because back then if you didn't, there was trouble. <laughs> so he's speaking to a people that understand what it, is, what it means to follow rules and regulations. And this is why I believe Jesus made it clear that if you're going to keep my commandments, you need to love me. Do you see the reverse? If you are gonna keep my commandments, it needs to be coming from a place of love. Because guess what? People back then, they did it because they had to. And fear, right? But Jesus is saying, hey, listen, if you're going to do what I tell you, if you're going to keep my commandments, it's got to be from a place of love and affection. Do you see how this jacket, you can flip it either way. Don't keep my commandments because you're obligated to. Don't keep them because you, you believe that you're religiously required to. Keep them because you love me. Keep them because your love for me is woven together with my commandments and my commandments are woven together with my love. Because commandments are an invitation for an encounter. His commandments are an invitation to freedom and liberty and hope and joy. So what are the relational boundary lines? Don't just keep my word while your heart is far from me. Because like the Israelites, they felt comfortable being a slave. Just tell me what to do, tell me where to go, and I'll do it. You know, I'm never sharing my heart or I'm never being vulnerable before the Lord. Just tell me where to go. I will do it. Being very robotic. But the opposite is also true. Don't say that you love me and not keep my word. Both of these truths are intertwined coming from our connection in heart. So the fruit of our life that lasts in eternity can only be rooted in the soil of our relationship with Jesus. I'm going to say this again. How many of you believe that you have a call in your life? Okay, we're down to two. Okay. How many of you believe that you have a call of God on your life? that you have a purpose and a destiny, that you have giftings and talents, and they're to be used for his kingdom and his glory. So the fruit of your life that will last in eternity will only be rooted in the soil of relationship with Jesus. Come on, guys. Why do we do these things? Why do we sacrifice for what we believe to be true? Because eventually you're going to get burned out if it's not up from a place of love. You're going to be burned out because I'm doing all these things and I'm not seeing the fruit. I'm not seeing the fruit. What is the fruit? Fruit that actually lasts are those from connection and affection with Jesus. Through Christ's sacrifice, you have eternal life, not period. You have eternal life with him. You have eternal life for union and fellowship and affection and love. Do you think I got my point across today?
just bow your heads. Just let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. When we pursue promise over presence, eventually we'll be pulled out of peace. So I just want you to talk with the Holy Spirit now. And I want you just to ask the Lord, are there areas in my life where I've been trying to do things on my own strength that do not hold eternal value? And if he reveals to you something, just repent. That just means there's a change in mind. Thank you, Father. Lord, you created us with relationship in mind. And so, Lord, we set our hearts on you. We fix our eyes on the prize, which is you which is relationship with you, which is fellowship with you. If you're feeling overwhelmed, if you're feeling overwhelmed, thank you, Father. Just lay your cares at his feet. Lay your frustrations. Lay your worry. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I don't feel like I need to talk that much. Just lean into his voice. Thank you, Father. Hear his heartbeat for you. Thank you, Father. I just feel like this moment is just kind of like a recalibration of expectation a recalibration of some thoughts or mentalities about your life. God, we place our attention on you. Lord, you created us for fellowship and union and love. Thank you, Father. Freedom is available. Hope is available. Restoration is available. 
Thank you, Father. Healing is available. Wholeness is available. Joy is available. Faith is available. Patience is available. Lord, you are the well that never runs dry. Lord, you are the source of life. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We'll end with this. Colossians 2, 6 through 7. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Let your, then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. So instead of the healing teams coming up, we're going to just pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. Lord, through, through your sacrifice, there's healing. There's freedom, redemption, there's hope. So, Father, right now, I receive by faith all that you offer. Lord, expand my heart. Expand my capacity to receive who you are, God. Thank you for the freedom and the liberty that you provide. And by faith, I receive all that you have given. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys are dismissed.